Thanks so much, Brandon. Team. I'm here. Hello? Yeah, okay, there we go. Yeah. Hey, good to see you all. Uh, again, thanks. Brandon, I have not heard that song. Is that like yours? Uh, no, that's Unspoken. Okay, it's all right. Your hands, well, I know you write songs, buddy, but uh, thanks for that. Yeah, and uh, may, Lord, we put Chris in your hands. We ask that with the severe migraine he has that you bring healing, and we continue to put this time together in your hands. Hey, before we uh, get into God's word, just a few things that that I want to uh, say, a few things I want to do. Uh, first of all, uh, hello, live stream folks. And then uh, a big welcome to a few people we've been missing for a while. The Lockmans are back after a long quarantine. <laughs> Wonderful to see the two of you. Great to see Chris here, who got hit by COVID uh, and um, is on the mend. Wonderful to have you with us, Chris. And then I would like to, um, I'm really excited about this. I'd like to welcome my wife, Darlene, today. And I, I want uh, the live stream people to see her. She's been a live stream yes, customer for a while. And you, you said you wanted to say something? Yeah, the, like the whole sermon? Or? No. Okay. Not today. <laughs> no, I just wanted to say how good it is to be with you and... Um, so when Steve and I've been involved in ministry, it's always been really hand in hand. And so this has been really hard for me not to be here with him and getting to know and loving you. But um, I have really appreciated the live stream. And so thank you for welcoming me. Yeah. Hey, the other thing I want to mention is that uh, many of you could really help us as we look ahead to our celebration of the resurrection Above all, by praying, yeah, that God would be at work, especially for those who might be visiting with us who normally are not in some kind of a church, who may not have a relationship with Jesus. So please be in prayer. But then also, some of you have some stories we'd like to share. And, and so we're calling a mini story. Well, actually, there's a different slide. It's part of the sermon slides, if, if you can see that. But uh, there we go. Yeah, so we're looking for some mini stories. And we've posted this in a survey that, that you should have received, and we've already had several responses. But basically, it's, it's like the blind man in John chapter 9, who rather simply says, once I was blind, but now I see. We all have versions of that, maybe not quite that dramatic, but you know, once I was anxious, but now Christ has given me peace. Uh, once I was addicted, but now I'm liberated. Or it could be a much a longer description than that. But what we're asking for is you, and this will be good for you in and of yourself just to think about it. What are some of the changes that Jesus Christ has made in your life? It's part of sharing your story with others like Nathan was talking about. But it honors God. It encourages other people. It may lead some even to Christ. And so think about that. And if you'd like to... Um, share a mini story, a few sentences. If you want to go longer than that, that's fine. Three ways. You can use the connection card, which you'll find in your chairs, and stick that in the offering basket later. Just write a little description. You can do more than one if you'd like. You also can send an email, and uh, yeah, just to the church office, or if you know my email, you can send it to me. Or you can go to that survey that uh, was emailed out uh, 
Friday, I believe. And uh, so hope that makes sense and hope that you'll help us with that. And then one more thing before we listen to some scripture. Uh, I think last week we were all stunned by the, uh, the murders in Georgia and, and whether it was just a really sick way to deal with a sexual addiction or also an expression of some anti-Asian uh, bigotry, which tragically is very definitely on the rise. Uh, I've had friends who've experienced this um, linked in a crazy way you know, to the COVID virus and so on. Uh, the reality is it's, it's a tragic, uh, one of many tragedies in our country. So I just want to take a moment and let, let's pray together, okay? Uh, Holy Father, we, we first of all um, pray for the families of these victims down in Georgia. And, and we know death occurs every day somewhere, but, but, but especially in this way, this kind of violent way, uh, Lord, we want to lift up the friends and families of these victims and uh, we, we, we pray, God, God, would you meet the perpetrator where he is and, and take him where he needs to be with, with your redemptive grace. We, we also pray, Lord, for those who, for whom this has stirred, yet another reminder of ways they've, they have been victims of bigotry, especially right now, uh, many folks of Asian descent. And, and we, we do ask that uh, your people would would provide a witness to, uh, Lord, uh, uh, the, the, the good news of Jesus that would um, uh, come against this, these forms of evil and show a better way of reconciliation with you as well as between people. And um, Lord, as we now listen to your word, we ask that you'd give us ears to hear and hearts to respond. In the name of Jesus Christ, the risen one, we pray. Amen. Hey, I want to invite Stan Blackwell to come and uh, read a couple of scriptures. The scriptural reading, readings for today. Do I really need that? Oh, okay. Okay, I was going to say, I can generally talk loud enough to blow out the windows. The scripture readings for today, March 21st, the year of our Lord, 2021. Mark 8, 2733. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do the people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. 
The second scripture is from the letter to the Corinthians, the first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 1, verses 21 and through 24. Since in the beginning, since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Stan. And Lord, again, would you speak to us as we look into your word? Let me encourage you to find in a Bible, 1 Corinthians 1, that we just heard through Stan, 1 Corinthians 1, that's where we'll spend most of our time. The church that uh, Darlene and I served, and she, was, she was on our staff for a lot of years, as children's pastor, we served together. Uh, we, we often would do some uh, workshops or even retreats that uh, were trying to map out, if you will, our journeys of faith with Jesus. And, and one of the exercises that we use many times is called a personal timeline. And, and what we do, it kind of looked like this. Uh, I know it's a little blurry, but it would be a, a fairly large piece of poster board. And then we took a lot of sticky notes and across the top in the... Um, We'd have, well, you can't see it there, but uh, kind of some periods of life that we had, you know, from youth to wherever we are now. And, and then we would have um, a few different kinds of sticky notes. The, the um, yellow ones would be things that were really positive. Uh, things, and, and all these events were things that were significant. They had meaning, they had an impact on our lives, turning points, that sort of thing. So the yellow sticky notes, you just put on there uh, this or that positive thing that happened. Uh, the, the red ones were challenges, the hard things that occurred. And then with the blue, you'd kind of start to look for some patterns because the whole exercise was to ask, what has God been doing through these, these experiences in life? What has he been saying? How has he been shaping us? Uh, well, there was a couple times where uh, Darlene and I were in the group together, though it's separate tables, going through this exercise. And, and I, I just kind of wondered what was on her timeline. And I figured that I was probably on there. Um, you know, getting married to anybody is fairly significant. My biggest question was, was I a yellow sticky note or a red <laughs> sticky note? And I came to the conclusion, probably Probably, uh, she was on mine for sure, okay? It was a big yellow one. But I was probably, you know, a little bit of yellow and maybe a little bit of red, right? Yeah, all red? So, oh, oh yellow, okay. <laughs> She's very gracious and kind. Well, today I want to talk about an event that did not happen in any of our lifetimes. But for you and for me, there's nothing more significant or life-changing. And I'm talking about the execution of a Jewish rabbi called Yeshua, 
who on a dark Friday outside Jerusalem, probably in April of the year AD 30, was executed in a horrific way called a crucifixion. Now, it might sound trivial that you'd put the death of Jesus on a sticky note, on some sort of a timeline. But I tell you what, if you did, if you did, on the one hand, it would be the darkest, deep red color imaginable because it's the worst injustice in history. And yet at the same time, it would be the brightest yellow imaginable. Because on that day, everything began to change forever for the good. As we heard Paul say, this message of Christ crucified, it is the power of God, the power of God. It is the wisdom of God. Now the next today and next week, and even somewhat on Easter Sunday, I want us to be thinking about why. Why the cross? Why the cross? It's a, it's a good question because this whole thing is kind of crazy, as we'll see, looking at uh, what Paul has to say. And yet it's also a crucial question, and it's central to everything in life. Now, quick answer to the question, why? Why the cross? It's kind of simply, Jesus was a threat. Uh, he was a threat to the best and the brightest, supposedly the most wise and definitely the most powerful in his day. Uh, the religious establishment, they branded him as a blasphemer. He actually claimed to be God. And so he deserved to die. Uh, with the uh, occupying Romans, the political establishment, uh, this guy was claiming to be a messiah, a king. He was a threat to the total control of Caesar and so they put him to death. Now, the method of crucifixion, it was devised by the Persians, but perfected by the Romans. Um, it was a horrific thing. For Jesus, after a middle-of-the-night trial uh, full of false accusations, uh, he was beaten, he was flogged, which meant he was tied to a post, and a, and, and a whip went across his back uh, 30, 40 times. The whip usually probably wasn't the case of Jesus, uh, leather thongs laced with sharp, jagged metal or glass. Um, he was forced to then carry at least, at least the cross beam um, a long ways to the side of the crucifixion on these bleeding shoulders. Um, uh, that was then attached to a second uh, vertical beam. It was raised up, dropped into a hole, and the suffering then for hours was long. It was slow. It was awful. There was severe blood loss, of course, but also the only way a victim could breathe would be by pushing himself up. And of course, his wrists, probably his wrists and his feet are spiked to the wood. And we have to push himself up to get a breath. And that would go on, in his case, for three hours. And death uh, would then usually come for the victim of a crucifixion by asphyxiation, the inability to breathe anymore. Now, that's 
what happened and why it happened. He was a threat to the establishment of the day. But of course, behind these power plays of religious and political leaders is the claim of Jesus and the declaration of his followers after being raised from the dead. And this, here's why the cross, it was God's plan to reconcile the world to himself and to begin a whole new creation. And that claim for a first century Jew or a non-Jew was absolutely absurd. It was complete foolishness, weakness. What are you saying? That a battered carpenter, carpenter rabbi on a bloody torture device is, is somehow the king of the universe? That, that somehow he's the hope of the world? And the response, as Paul's saying, that's crazy foolishness. And that's absolute weakness. It's, it's, uh, and you see it anticipated in what Stan read for Peter's reaction. Remember when Jesus says, the Son of Man, talking about himself, must be arrested and, 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 and tried and, and killed. And Peter says, no way. And Jesus had rebuke him, say, no, you're not thinking of God's ways, but mere human ways. You know, the very first surviving portrait of the crucifixion is actually a piece of graffiti found in second century Rome. It looks like this. It's a crude picture of a man being crucified with the head of a donkey, and then another man there on the left with a, with a, a hand raised. And the description there is Alex Menos worships his God. Graffiti ridiculing these Christians that you'd actually say that this crucified man is actually your God? Now, now friends, it, it, it's important to see how, how jarring this was back then, how crazy it, uh, it seemed back then. But it, it's also important to, in a fresh way to let it jar us. So we don't just take it lightly. I mean... I think for many of us, if we're Christians, it's, it's become so familiar, we kind of reduce it to almost a formula that often goes like this. I was bad, so God got mad, but Jesus stepped in, in my place, and I escaped. That's nice. I get to go to heaven and get a little hope, help in the meantime. No, that's true. But this event, to be reduced to a mere formula, is falling so short of what was going on here. Because yes, yes, it, it, it does make that difference of giving us forgiveness and a place in eternal life and the Spirit's help in the meantime, but, but that's, it's, it's, it's so much more than that. It's, it's more of a mystery. It's not a formula, a mere means of God getting us somewhere. It's, it's more of a mystery we bow to in, in self-entrusting gratitude. And, and the New Testament, uh, it, it's such an awesome kind of event that the New Testament says there's, it basically is communicating there's no one way to explain it. It has to use all these different metaphors. You cannot reduce it to just a simple formula. 
And it, at heart, it's a blazing, penetrating revelation of our radical need and God's radical provision saying there is no ultimate wisdom and power for anything in life apart from Christ crucified. And so this crazy kind of claim is also, as Paul is saying, absolutely uh, central. Now, part of what Paul's doing here, when he talks about wisdom and power, uh, he's, he's talking about two very basic human needs and pursuits. I mean, who doesn't want some wisdom to be in the know, to have some answers? Who doesn't want some strength, some, to be in control, to have some abilities? And there's nothing wrong with either one of those, wisdom or power. Um, I mean, God made us. Just read Genesis 1 and 2. God made us to know things. God made us to do things. He gave us these incredible gifts of knowing and of doing, of wisdom and of strength. The problem is when we let these gifts get disconnected from the giver. They're good gifts from God, but they get disconnected. And so we humans, you see it in Genesis 3. You see it with the first man and the first woman. We have this craving for knowledge, and it becomes a craving for even more knowledge, and pretty soon that knowledge is being used against the one who gave the knowledge in the first place. And distorted wisdom becomes twisted power. And so you see right there in Genesis 3 that it's now a situation where the equal partners of a, husband, a man and a woman, the man is dominating, ruling over the woman. Not what God intended. It's the consequence of this breakdown between the creatures and the creator. And you see, you see the joyful work, what a great gift work is. But joyful work is turns into grinding toil there in Genesis 3. And, and, and so is the rest of human history in relationships and work. You know the immediate reason why Paul's talking about this here in 1 Corinthians, starting with verse 18, the message of the cross is foolishness and so on. You know what his immediate topic is? It's not a theological lesson on what, what happened with Jesus on the cross. He is addressing a practical problem in the house churches of Corinth called disunity. By the way, uh, Tom Duckworth's reflections, please pick one, one of those up. It's really worth spending time in the next, um, well, especially just do it the next two weeks before Easter. But uh, you know, part of, part of what Tom shows in this reflection on the bread and the cup of communion is that it, it, is, it is remembering our reconciliation with God, but to discern the body, as Paul says, is to discern the body of Christ. And the problem there with communion, as Paul addresses it later in 1 Corinthians, is, is that uh, you know, the, the rich were eating a lot over here and the poor were over here. They weren't taking the Lord's Supper because they weren't discerning the body and its oneness. That's the theme all the way through, through this letter of Paul. It's how it really get started after all the greetings and stuff. He says, I appeal to you. Let there be no divisions among you. I've heard that there are. And then he says, and let me tell you about the cross. Relevant for a relationship with God, but also it's the wisdom and power uh, in all of life. And what was happening in Corinth was that these Christ followers were using their wisdom and strength against each other. They were saying, and you could, I could cite the references if I had time, they were saying, I know more than you do. <laughs> um, 
My spiritual power is greater than yours. I have better gifts than you have. And uh, so the relationships were fractured. So whether we're talking about with God or with others, or just with life, it's the cross. It's the cross where the, the gaps are exposed. Um, it's the cross where it gets clear that we have fallen so short of the glory of God. Uh, you, you see it in the immediacy of the crucifixion of Jesus that, that humanity's truest religion and civilization's uh, greatest expression, you know, Judaism and Rome, uh, they're the ones that condemn and crush this perfectly wise and just human being. And it's not just what those terrible people did, did way back then. It's, it's, a, it's like a look in the mirror as to ourselves and the way we mishandle wisdom and power. And Jesus went to the cross for my sins and my sufferings and yours and everyone's and the whole world's. So that's where the problem gets exposed, but that's also the cross is where the gap gets closed. It, isn't this amazing? Somehow the cross of Jesus is where alienated rebel creatures are reconciled and forgiven and welcomed by the Father. It's where the powers of deception and oppression are defeated. And, it's so, and so it's where the great mending begins when the tomb is left empty. Um, you, you, know, you know how some Christ followers do the sign of the cross? You know what I'm talking about? You know, a lot of people say, well, that, that's this ridiculous religious superstition. It's like, yeah, you're, you're up to bat, and, and if you want to get a home run, you, know, you cross yourself. Or you, you're in the Olympics, and you cross yourself hoping you'll win. Well, for some people it is, it probably is just that. But uh, do you know the history of, of that? It goes way, way back, way back, long before what we call Roman Catholicism. It goes way back. Basically, it was a bodily expression of prayer. And, and essentially, in its purest forms, it was saying, it was saying that um, uh, a kind of prayer that would, would say something like, Lord Jesus, let your finished work of making all things new, uh, may your finished work cross out, cross out a self-driven life. You cross out my self-driven life. And would you infuse my mind and my heart, my body and my soul would you reconcile me with yourself? Would you bring me into love for others? Um, that's not superstition. That's like Paul saying, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but, this, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live in the body, in the flesh, I live by the power, by the faith, by the way, it's not just faith in the Son of God, but the faith of the Son of God. 
who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, the, the cross doesn't merely say, oh, you're all worthless, but we'll let you into heaven anyway. And so just wait for Christ to return. Uh, the, the cross humbles us. But then God, through the cross and resurrection, transforms us and redirects us into active love, which is, if Jesus finally says what life is all about, to love the Lord your God with all your mind, soul, and strength, to love your neighbor as yourself, to love brother and sister, right? But you see, you see how this crazy event called the cross is so central to everything in life, to anything that you call wisdom and strength. Let me just close with a story before we have communion. Uh, during World War II, maybe you've heard this story, a British officer, Ernest Gordon, was in a POW camp in Thailand. And uh, it's a moving account. It's interesting to me. My dad was a POW, as I think I've mentioned before, for three years in the Philippines and Japan. But even more, it's a story about Christ. So when the, these, these men were captured um, by the Japanese, they, 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 they really went to the instinct of some wisdom and, and power. They said, we've got to figure out how to get out of here and let's do what we can to, to, to do it by our strength. But as that hope diminished... Uh, some, of the, some of the prisoners turned to kind of a frantic, desperate religion. Basically, what they were putting their hope in, though, is that God would give a quick fix escape. And when that didn't happen, those were some of the first men to, to give up hope and die. Because they were trusting God, not necessarily for all he promised, but for their quick answer to their immediate problem. But then, but then um, something began to be noticed, and that was the practical love of a few of the prisoners who were followers of Jesus. Um, Gordon himself at that time, this Brit, this officer, was very irreligious, totally skeptical, even antagonistic toward believers. But he almost died of malaria, and he was nursed back into health by a couple enlisted men who were Christians. That got his attention. And then one day, a shovel was missing. My dad went through some kind of similar to this in, in, in Japan. Uh, but one day a shovel was missing and this guard went into a rage and ordered them all to, to line up and said that uh, un unless somebody confessed, all the prisoners would be executed. Well, this went on for a long time, but finally one prisoner stepped forward and the guard just beat him to death. And all the others went back to their barracks. The next day they discovered that no shovel was missing. That man had sacrificed himself for all the others. Well, Gordon and some of the other men, they begin to think about one who did something kind of like that fellow prisoner, a man named Jesus. And they had scraps of Bibles, and they read, they discussed, taking in his claims, his life, his sufferings, and they begin to experience something that just didn't make sense or seem even possible. They, they started to grow into choices to love that transcended their 
their hatred, their bitterness toward the Japanese, they begin to move into some choices to live that transcended the constant reality of death around them. And they experienced a strange kind of wisdom, to use Paul's terms, that was holding up in the midst of all this chaos, a strange kind of strength that was holding them up despite all the losses and threats. And, and they experienced, and many of them, including Gordon, came to decisively receive a, a presence of this one who had died, but now was alive and with them. And uh, here's, here's what Gordon writes in his book called The End of All Wars. He says, the props of Western civilization had been swept from under us, and with them our faith in man, his technology, his belief in progress, his pride. We had two alternatives. We could choose the way of men, or we could choose the way of Christ. Our experience pointed to a source beyond ourselves. We knew personal fulfillment, love, joy, peace, wholeness, as we committed ourselves to the one who called us. Only as we responded to this word did we receive the power to progress toward true humanity. And then he concludes, our life on the horizontal plane was made meaningful at the point where it was met by the vertical. At that point, marked by the cross, we found ourselves. Where the vertical intersects the horizontal. It's where you find life, wisdom, and power. So this morning, I'm asking myself, and I'll ask you, um, well, I think we're missing a slide. That's okay. Don't worry about it, guys. Um, let me just ask the question. Can you see where that, that vertical of the cross intersects the horizontal, where it comes into all your pursuits of wisdom and power in life, where you want to be in control, where you want to do this, where you want to do that, where you want to know something. And this morning, and maybe for the first time, but in a fresh way, are you willing to, to let that cross, not let it, but let him who is crucified displace what's not of him with what is. To remember that you're fully re reconciled by the finished work of Jesus. That uh, a new life has begun with what happened in the empty tomb. So before we take the bread and the cup to remember with thanksgiving the crucified Jesus, uh, just take a moment of silence in his presence. And uh, what, what is it in life today you need to place before him? Um, what pursuits of wisdom and power? For example, to be in the know, to be in control, do you need to place before him? And is there a way you need to just place your whole self before the crucified and the risen Jesus? Just take a moment. As we continue to pray, let, let's sing to begin with one verse of a song that's a confession and a song of praise.
Vicki, if you want to continue to just play on the piano, we just remind you the night before Jesus went to his death, he was sharing the Passover meal with his followers and he took the bread and surprised them by saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Take this remembering me. And then after the supper, he took the cup and said, this is a cup of a new covenant, a whole new relationship that comes for the forgiveness of all your sins through the shedding of my blood. As you take it, remember me. So this morning you you have the the dual cup and there's gluten-free bread uh, back by the kitchen, if you would prefer that. Uh, But as we... um, pull off the tab for the bread and and eat that and then turn around and then drink from the cup. Um, uh, Lord, let us us have uh, an encounter with you where we acknowledge, Lord, our foolishness, our weakness, but then also, Lord, the amazing grace that forgives and restores and reconciles. So as you feel led, go ahead and eat and drink. Let's stand together and continue to sing. My friends, as we go into this week, may we remember 
every day that uh, this amazing God held nothing back for us to reconcile us, to begin to transform us, uh, to give us a purpose uh, in this world for his glory and the good of the world and for our own joy. Uh, Go in his presence, go in his peace. Amen.